Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on his people in that day is one he still has for us in 2023. May he find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. For the past 20 years, we've had a front row seat to God doing more than we could ever imagine. Lives impacted for all eternity. Public professions of faith through baptism. Kids and adults discipled in the ways of Jesus. Campuses expanded to reach the multitudes, serving the least, the last, and the lost. And now our sights are set on something bigger and bolder, something immeasurably more. Let us join God in what he is doing next. Good morning. I'm glad that you're here today, and I'm glad that we get to open up the book of Nehemiah together this morning. We're in chapter four, so if you want to go ahead and Grab your Bibles or your digital device, whatever you want to turn into this morning. We're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 4 together, but not before going a couple of other places. I want you to finish a sentence for me this morning, um, and I'm, I believe fully that you can. Um, in life, we want to hope for the best and prepare. Okay, you did it, and it was not a trick question. Like, you knew what it was coming. Um, my first ministry job, kind of out of the gate, was in North Carolina, um, and I was working um, at a Baptist convention in the youth evangelism department, and primarily part of our roles as a strategic focus partner of the North American Mission Board, that doesn't mean anything to you, and that's okay. We were taking teams of teenagers, students in youth ministry, on mission trips to cities in the Northeast to partner with church planters to do mission projects in their community on their behalf so that the community would say, hey, there's a great church over there and they're doing service projects, so let me go hear more about Jesus. It was this whole evangelistic effort. So primary cities for me were New York and Boston, and one of my favorite things to do in the summer was to take students to New York during the week of 4th of July, students who had never been to a city that big, never been to one in the Northeast, looking at skyscrapers that tall, and then especially to take them to see the fireworks along the Hudson Riverbank on the 4th of July. 
miraculous, best fireworks I've ever seen, and most people I've ever been around, because 10 million people would gather on the riverbanks, and you'd camp out all day long to get your spot, and we would prepare for the moment where we were taking kids there, but we never really prepared for how we were going to get them out, because they were operating on a holiday schedule, and many subway stations were shut down, and it didn't even really matter because 10 million people were all trying to get to the same one at the exact same time. And so one year, we take this group of kids, and they're watching the 4th of July fireworks. They're mesmerized by the light show. They're m- unbelievable how good it was right there on the river. And then we get them to the subway station to find out that it's blocked and barricaded and that there's all sorts of police there and a whole bunch of New Yorkers yelling and fighting and using all sorts of colorful language. And there we are with a bunch of middle school students crying because they can't get on the subway. Finally, these two people break out into a fight. I raise my hand, officer, can you help me please? I've got 55 middle school students. This one's crying. Can we please get on the last subway run of the night before it shuts down? And he let our group go through while everybody else just spit at us on the way through. No, that's not true, but it was a terrible situation. You can hope for the best and want things to be awesome, And then realize in life that you're not really prepared for how you're going to move forward. We're in the book of Nehemiah chapter 4 and what's happening in the lives of the people who've made their way back to Israel to rebuild the wall is that they're facing an incredible amount of opposition. Christy McClellan, I've been reading a book this week and it's come out with this idea, it's called Rediscovering Israel. Um, And to read a book called Rediscovering Israel while Israel is in utter turmoil, is um, a little bit jarring. And she writes in it, when we know there is a definitive time frame for a difficult season, we can often find it easier to persevere. Like if you know, oh, there's only seven more weeks until graduation, you can press on. If you know there's only three more treatments until you're done with this round, you can press on. If you know that you only have a couple of more weeks until taxes, refunds, then you can press on. My daughter told me at the end of the first service that people who are in solitary confinement, who know how long they're going to be there, survive much longer than people who have no idea when the end will come. And for the people of Israel, the prophet Jeremiah had given them a definitive timeline of 70 years of captivity in Babylonian exile. And at the end of that 70 years, when a a Persian king issues a decree for them to be able to return, you can imagine the joy that they experienced. And the prophet Daniel, if they had looked back even further, and if they had assessed what was going on right in the middle of that exile, he gave them words in chapter 9, because that book is a whole lot more than just, oh, there's a fun lion's den, and oh, there's a fiery furnace. No, there's prophetic words about what was going to happen in the life of Israel in that day, but then for all future times, and then things that are still yet to come. He writes in Daniel chapter 9 that there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, and if we take seven times seven, we know that that's 49. Seven times 62 is a little harder. One of y'all who does math can figure that out for me a little bit later on, and that's completely okay, but that 49 years is approximately the amount of time that it took for the decree to go out and the wall to be rebuilt when they could celebrate the fact that they were able to return to their holy city. In order to understand timing, whenever we're given a definitive end date, or whenever we're still waiting for peace to come, whenever we're still waiting for terrorism to stop, whenever we're still waiting for Jesus to return, in order to understand anything about a definitive time frame that God has given us, we first have to trust his word and his plan, and his word gives us a couple of warnings. 
so that we won't be surprised by difficulty. Why is it? It happens for believers. We, we get this way. We're like, why in the world is this happening? Why do, why do bad things happen to, to really good, faithful people? Why in the world are we walking through this? Why in the world is the world experiencing this? Why are we surprised by struggle when we follow God's plan, when his word has told us that it will come? That Peter, the apostle, writes in 1 Peter 4, 12, dear, uh, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. We can underline those words because they're important words, as though something strange were happening to you. Like he's explaining why suffering is coming. In his day, in his generation, millennia in the future, he's explaining why in the world the Jews are now scattered. The believers in Jesus are scattered around a Roman Empire undergoing unbelievable persecution, far more than you and I can ever understand or imagine that they're happening. They're hey, we want to look at it as a punishment when it's in reality a purification. In the Old Testament, they continue to look at with wise words from God himself that the experiences of difficulty that they were having were a result of their disobedience. The 70-year exile that they went to Babylon were a result of the disobedience of 490 years of the people of Israel not obeying and fully trusting in God. And what we can know today as a New Testament covenant people that the difficulty we face it's not punishment for our disobedience, even if it feels like that. It's really a strengthening process for us to be purified and more like Jesus. Even then, in the Old Testament, when this 70-year exile was coming to a conclusion and they were allowed to return to their holy city, it was a picture of God's faithfulness. Yes, they were being disciplined in the process, but it was also Him fulfilling His promise to allow a remnant to return to give them mercy in the middle of their difficulty whenever you and I face trials whenever the world is under fire what we can understand is that God is faithfully fulfilling his promise in a larger picture and it's always gives us an opportunity for spiritual growth Jesus said it himself in John chapter 16 hey I've told you these things so that you may have peace we want that I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But then he says, take heart, I've overcome the world. Nehemiah was not without opposition. We get our first taste of that in, in chapter 2. What started out as just disturbing, as the people noticed what was happening around them, grew to be really infuriating. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're introduced to a character named Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. When the officials heard about this, when they heard that Nehemiah had returned to build the wall, this is the third wave. The temple has been constructed, worship has been instituted, and now the wall around the city needs to be erected. When the people heard that that's what was going on, the Bible says they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Like they were disturbed by the fact that Nehemiah made his way back from a Persian palace into the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the wall. And now one chapter later in chapter 4 verse 1 it says when Samballat, that same guy, heard that we were actually rebuilding the wall. That the work had actually begun. He became angry and was greatly incensed. What started out as only a friction for the world turned into this massive conflict in the world. That word incensed means that they were angry, that they literally burned, that they were provoked, that they were vexed. We want to look at this idea of Sambalat being a Horonite, and historians and scriptures give us a little bit of a difference of what this actually means. It could have meant that he was just from the town of Horonaim, but that would have made him a descendant of Moab. 
people who had always been in direct conflict with the sons and daughters of Abraham, or he could have just come from the upper region that was overtaken by the Assyrians and the fall of the northern kingdom, and then they all started marrying one another and adopting one another's religions, and we get this whole group of people in that moment that didn't exist before called the Samaritans. And you know, if you go to the New Testament, those people were always at odds with the Israelites, and it was the most hated oppressor. It's possible now that Sanballat, this, this governor of Samaria, and this rejected people is holding a grudge from something that happened way back in the book of Ezra chapter 4 during that second wave of the return. It says again in verse 1 that he ridiculed the Jews. Have you ever been made fun of or rejected for something about you? It says, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Your enemy always tries to discredit and undermine you, to make you feel weak and unworthy. He said, will they restore their wall to make you feel like the task that God's called you to is too big for you? Will they offer sacrifices and to actually point at you and wonder if your worship is even worth it? To the point where you begin to doubt. Will they finish in a day? They'll tell you that it's too hard. It's too complicated. That it'll take too long. Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Burned as they are. With the city destroyed and with resources limited. Here are their oppressors reminding them how very little they had to work with. Making them question and doubt even the possibility and then this guy, Tobiah the Ammonite, he has to come in with his own words, too. He was by his side, and he said this, what, um, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Um, that just sounds like a silly little put-down. But imagine the moment where you were working hard for the Lord, doing your absolute best to be attacked from all sides. Here's these officials and people in positions of power, power that they didn't want to lose, coming to attack the work that God had called them to. Were they surprised in this moment? I don't know. We shouldn't be. We shouldn't be surprised when we attempt to be a people of God, carrying out the will and the work of God, when enemies around us come and attack the thing that we're doing. But what we can hold on to so clearly is the promises of God, because when we feel weak, we have 2 Corinthians that remind us that when we're weak, God's power is made perfect in that weakness. And, and when we're feeling weak, we can certainly be made strong. When the job seems way too big, how in the world are we going to restore this wall? How in the world are we going to plant this church? How in the world are we going to reach this community? We can remember that with God, and he says this in the New Testament Gospels, that all things are possible. When we feel like our worship may be worthless, we can be reminded that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we feel like stuff that we're called to do takes way too long and we don't know the exact route to take, we can be reminded over and over again the words of Paul in the book of Philippians, which tells us that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that good work in us and that everything that happens to us is God working and willing and acting according to his good purpose. And when we feel like we don't have the things that we need. We can trust that he will supply all of our needs according to his riches that are in Christ Jesus. And whenever we're pressed, we can make our response the same as Nehemiah's, because in, in verse 4, what did he do immediately? Here they were, making fun of every single thing they were doing, 
And he says, hear us, our God. Because when we're pressed, we can pray. And when we pray, we can let God lead. He says, hear us, our God, for we are despised. And then he doesn't pray for his enemies the way that Jesus taught us to pray for our enemies. He prays against the evil that's in their heart. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So what? We rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all of their heart. We can pray, we can let God lead, and we can get back to business while we finish the work. So they rebuilt the wall till it reached half its height, which is probably, when you think about it, why a fox could jump over it, no big deal, whatever. And the people continued to work with all their hearts. And when we work with all of our hearts, when we give it our absolute all, it does not mean that trouble won't increase. It doesn't mean that we're still not going to face difficulty. In verse 7, it says, When Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad, I shouldn't pause here because we don't have time, but I'm going to pause here anyway. That city of Ashad is an important one because it was part of this land of Israel that God had given his people, yet it was overtaken by the Philistines way back in the book of Judges. And these people come and they take this land and they set up these five really important cities. And one of them was the port city of Ashad. And it was a place where they set up a temple to their god Dagon. And in 1 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant was kidnapped and it was taken back to the Philistine empire. And they put that Ark of the Covenant in the temple of Dagon in the city of Ashad. And that falls down multiple like this whole conflict has been going on for generations and I sit back and ask myself have the people in the city of Ashad just held a grudge for generations all the way since the book of Judges and Joshua and first and second Samuel and Ruth have they been mad all the way up until the Old Testament and I think that it's so ludicrous in this moment that these Middle Eastern conflicts can go back so far And yet you turn on the news or you open up your feed and you realize that conflicts of biblical proportions have dated back since literally the beginning of time. That they're very much alive and all of the aggression is real. It says, when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead, when they saw God's people being successful, that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry, and they plotted to come together. Well, now we're going to ban against the people of God. They plotted to come together and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. And what was Nehemiah's response again? But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. I want you to hear me say that we are to be a people who respond to the oppression that we face and the difficult circumstances that we walk through in prayer. And that prayer is powerful. I'm, 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 I often feel remorse for the moments when I've looked at somebody who's going through a difficult circumstances and I say I will be praying for you with an apologetic tone as if I wish I could do more instead of realizing that that prayer honestly is the more we can be a people who believe that prayer works that prayer is effective and that prayer is enough but we don't have to be a people that state prayer is only I want you to know that if you're maybe okay maybe there's just one of you that's walking through something difficult, that endures something really challenging. 
And in those moments of, 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 of fierce conflict and inner turmoil and deep depression and anguish and sometimes addiction to be the person on the receiving word of, oh, I'm praying for you, or to feel in your head and your heart that, oh, I should be able to just pray this away. I should be more faithful in my prayers because if I was more faithful in my prayers, then God would certainly hear those prayers and take away the problem that I'm experiencing. I don't want you to walk away from this moment feeling like someone has said, well, you just need to pray about it. We know and trust and believe that prayer is absolutely powerful and that prayer is always enough. But according to this word, prayer is not only because Nehemiah didn't just pray to God. He posted a guard. And there are other resources and there are other avenues. Like I I, I believe that prayer works, but that we also need to take action. Like I, I pray for my kids, but I also set limits for my kids. I pray that I would be able to continue to walk in faithfulness, but I also have guardrails in my life. I I pray for you, but I also want you to know that we are here to support you. The fact that prayer is enough has never intended to be that prayer was only. Because there's prayer and there's medicine. There's prayer and there's therapy. There's prayer and there's effort. There's prayer and there's planning. There's prayer and there's preparation. There's prayer and there's work. There's prayer and there's community. There's prayer and there's treatment. There's prayer and there's second opinions. There's prayer and the support of a community around you. Verse 10 says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. I love Nehemiah 4.10. You ever sit across from somebody and they ask you, hey, how you doing? And you just respond with, oh, fine, everything's great. And on the inside, you're literally crumbling. I'm so glad that in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 4, verse 10, in response to unbelievable persecution and unbelievable difficulty and unbelievable opposition, the people in Judah didn't say, oh, it's going great. Look how far we've come. Half of the wall is done and the gaps are closed. They said, we're giving out. There's so much rubble. Verse 11, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and they will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who came out and lived near them and were watching it all happen, they came over ten times over and they said, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Like, it's a difficult situation. Don't you want to be the person who's sitting across from someone who asks you how you're doing and you can be vulnerable and honest and you can say, I'm tired. It's hard. I don't know if I can make it. We want that to be the story of what's happening in the life of our church. We don't want to be a people who who make things up and say, oh yeah, I'm fine, everything's wonderful when things are increasingly difficult. And then in response to that, we want to be a people who pray boldly to God and pray boldly with and for one another, but then also set up a guard. Also support each other in the 
moment. It says in verse 13, therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall and the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords and their spears and their bows. We ought to be able to look at each other's weaknesses and say, hey, that's where we're going to put up our guard. That's where we're going to provide support. But we don't know that unless we can identify the weak areas. It is so important that in this moment of Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 10, the people literally named the struggle. We want to be a people who are bold enough to name our struggle and to say when we feel weak, to say when we're given out, to say when we feel like giving up, to say that there's so much rubble in our life that we don't think that we can complete the work that God has for us. We need some help and then we'll put a guard around it and then we'll provide some support for it and then we'll recognize that it's prayer. It's enough but it's not only because we need each other. After I looked things over, Nehemiah said, I stood up and I said to the nobles, verse 14, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Easier said than done. Because remember verse 10, we're given out, we're given up, we're surrounded by rubble. But then he says this, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When you remember how good he is, when you remember the promises that he's given, then you have the strength to fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. It says, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. When we remember that God is great and awesome, we can get back to business. It doesn't mean that we won't continue to face difficulty, but it means we have what we need in the face of difficulty. Well, this morning, we're privileged to be able to hear a story and we all have one, um, not exactly like Kelly Cooks, but I know some of you have one similar to Kelly Cooks, but the way that she explains what it's like to trust God, to know that he's great and awesome in the middle of difficulty is one that we can celebrate. Would you watch? I think that I can see my purpose in my pain. And that purpose is sharing our story. And, and our story is hard and it's heartbreaking, but it's also a, sto a story of forgiveness and a story of being saved. Pete is still very much alive in my heart. He was an amazing guy, an amazing dad, amazing husband. He loved life, he loved God. And um, Peter was a drinker, and he drank throughout our marriage. And um, the last five years of his life, he started to drink more and became consumed by alcohol. We were in this community group for two years, hosted it, and they did not know that we were drowning. I stayed in a hotel room with my three boys to get away from Pete one night. And I went to um, our leaders the next day and I said, we're not drowning, we've drowned. We need help. And they rallied around us on uh, March 6, 2021, Peter died. But in reality, we lost Pete to alcohol two years before his, his death. Our world was shattered, completely shattered. Pastor Jeff came to our house. Um, he sat in our living room and my youngest son 
looked at Pastor Jeff and he said, I'm scared that my dad is not in heaven because he did some really bad things. I heard that and my heart just, it sank. And Jeff did such a beautiful job of saying he, he was a believer and he was and he was saved and he read scripture and he just, you know, ensured Baylor that your dad is in heaven. And he said, will you baptize me? You know, at that moment, this little boy who, who just learned his dad died needed Jesus and wanted Jesus and wanted to open his heart up to Jesus. A month later, almost to the day that Pete died, uh, it was Easter and Pastor Jeff baptized Baylor. It just was such a beautiful thing. So that just shows you in the midst of the pain, God was with us. He was covering us. That su support group in the church and our friends, they came around us. That allowed me to be open about what was going on. And, and I never was alone. I couldn't see it though. I mean, God was with me every step of the way. God put these people in my world to help me bear what was to come and just knowing we weren't alone was freeing and and i could finally see god and 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 god was hearing me it opened my eyes to i'm not i don't have to suffer alone and this is god this is his work you know he's our healer he's our comforter uh, he's our redeemer i mean he has rescued me and he he will rescue you that's the good that's going to come out of this. Isn't that a beautiful story? Um, and a beautiful golden retriever at the end there. You know there's purpose in the pain. I love the part where a little boy can be reminded. And I think that it's a reminder that we all need. Um, we're not kept away from heaven the bad that we do but we're invited into it because the work that Jesus did um, it's all about what Christ gave and it's the belief that we need there is purpose in the pain please don't let it be two years of oh no I'm fine before you say my strength is giving out and there's a whole lot of rubble in my life that I cannot see around. Just because you're doing the work of the Lord doesn't mean that trouble won't increase. It doesn't mean that you won't need to take action. And it also doesn't mean that you will not grow weary and need support. And when you can do, you can cling to the promise. We don't have to be afraid of the difficult circumstances that we walk in. We don't have to be afraid of the difficult people that surround us. We can, Nehemiah 4.14, remember the Lord. Why? Because he's great. He's awesome. He is the fulfiller of promises. He is the provider of resources. He is all that we need. And then because of that, we can fight for our families. We can fight for our sons and daughters. We can fight for our wives and our homes. In verse 19, it says this, Nehemiah says to the nobles and the officials and all the rest of the people, the work is extensive. It's spread out. We are widely separated from each other along the wall. Like, it's difficult. 
Like, don't be surprised by the fact that there's going to be trouble and difficulty in your life, and don't be surprised if the thing that God calls you to, and don't be surprised if the thing that God calls us to is a hard thing. And then he says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So it says, we continued the work with half of the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. And he says, neither I nor my brothers nor the men or the guards with me took off our clothes. They were prepared. Hoping for the best. Lord, let this go well. Preparing for the worst. Each had his weapon even when he went for water, some of the Bible translations say when he went to relieve himself, like, I can go to the bathroom, I've got my weapon, because I know that something could happen. And the whole time, we're being reminded over and over and over again that it's worth it. In your life, what's worth it? Like, what's worth fighting for? What's worth praying about? What's worth working toward do you hear a call of God in your life and are you going to respond despite whatever difficult opposition may come like will you be willing to go through it and endure it and not be so shocked and crippled by it that you stop pursuing what the Lord has for you Peter wrote to a dispersed church hey don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This thing that God's calling you to, this thing that God's calling us to, it should be big and it will be hard. And we don't have to be surprised by that. We can endure that because he's given us everything that we need and each other to walk beside. Some will oppose it, but honestly, that is what makes it worth it. Whatever you're walking through, we don't want you to walk through it alone. We don't want you to stand at the barricade and cry because nobody will let you through. We want somebody to raise their hand and say, let's walk through this together. And it doesn't mean that the opposition will stop and that the challenge will fade, but it means we can do hard things in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for a story that isn't over yet for a for a Nehemiah story that isn't over yet and for a Nick Allen story that isn't over yet for the things that you're doing and the scripts that you're writing and the problems that you're allowing in our lives to purify us and sanctify us and make us stronger like Jesus and even if we don't feel strong we can recognize that you are so would we be a people who pray and post guard, who pray and trust you, who pray and acknowledge what we're walking through and invite others to walk in it with us. We tell you today, thank you for this word and for the things that you're doing and the, that which you've invited us to be a part of. It's hard, but it's worth it. And we tell you today, Jesus, that we love you and we trust you. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. 
follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.